Welcome to Impact with Dr. David Ireland. Each week as we delve into topical events that affect us locally and globally, you'll have the opportunity to hear practical, relevant and empowering information from Dr. Ireland, a renowned pastor, author and coach who will give you the tools to confront these issues in your own personal context. Today's topic is a sacred partnership. Now here's your host, Dr. Island. For these next moments, I want to talk with you about a message I titled, A Sacred Partnership. Leviticus 27 is where I'd like to go to. When I read the Bible, I see this relationship that God has established with his ancient people. That partnership enters into their relationships, into their civic life, into their spiritual lives. And that partnership enters even into their financial life. And that's why I've been in this series on the 1322 challenge, which comes from this Bible verse of Proverbs 1322 that simply says, If you obey God, you will have something to leave your grandchildren. Every translation gives you a different slant and nuance on this particular promise. So God says, if you obey me when it comes even to your finances, I'll so help you that you'll have something to leave your grandchildren. And if you don't have children or grandchildren, you'll have something to leave the next generation. So God is intimately involved with our financial lives. And so this challenge 1322, it's really about us bringing a holistic approach to bring our financial life into order. I want to look now at the sacred partnership piece. How do we link up with God financially? Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. This generation in Leviticus were primarily agrarians, agrarian society, farmers, herdsmen. They made their livelihood from the land. And God says, here's how I'd like for you to relate to me financially so we have this sacred, holy partnership. Whenever your crops produce, give me one-tenth of what it produces. Whenever your animals reproduce, give me one-tenth of the new lambs, new sheep. Give me one-tenth. So the farmer, when he harvested, whether it's corn or he had an apple orchard and got apples, they put them in baskets. They'd count out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten baskets of apples, this one I set aside, that's holy, it's God's, that's my tithe. The herdsman would have a long stick, put a cloth around the tip, tie it, dip it in blood, and count out the new sheep. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten, dab one on the side of this, this patch of blood 
that lamb, that's holy. That one belongs to God, God's house, God's work. So they would sell the lamb. Once they get the monetary value, they would give that as their tithe. A tithe, it's a, it's a, it's a mathematical term. It's not an arbitrary, it's not a religious word, it's a math word. It means one-tenth. We today, we're not herdsmen. I don't suspect that, not in this location in the nation. So we don't have, we're not farmers, we're not out there raising cattle or cows. We're not doing that. We may be working IT, some may work in finance, some may work as a medical doctor, others may work at, at the pharmacy, others may work at the gas station, at the deli, wherever you work, and you get your compensation. God says, our partnership needs to be ratified and established so you know that this is a sacred partnership. So I want one-tenth of whatever you earn. The ancient folks, they readily saw God's involvement. They knew that the weather affected the crops. The weather affected the reproductive abilities of the animals. If they don't have water, they are not going to have the strength. And They understood that. We today, we sometimes don't see the correlation between I work in the pharmacy and God. I, I don't see it. But there's a sacred partnership, and sacred partnership has various meanings to it. And so I want you to understand, it has little or nothing to do with money. This sacred partnership, it means covenant. Covenant is an agreement. Uh, it's a contract between two parties where both are strengthened by that covenant relationship. Sacred partnership, it also means companionship. God is with you. He's emotionally connected to you. He walks with you and he talks with you and you can confide in him. And so that sacred partnership has that element to it. It also means conflict. You can never serve God without conflict. And if you tell me that you have never had a problem with God, I know you're not serving God. Because we've all had problems. Sometimes we want to go left. God says, no, 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 no. I want you to go right. Sometimes we want to do this. God said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. And then we have to work out that disagreement because that's part of the relationship. And it's good to know that God's ability to guide and, to, and he's interested not to let you walk over a cliff, but he's helping you saying, no, let's circumvent that. Sacred partnership, it also means counsel. God is the wisest when it comes to money when it comes to life, and he will give you counsel. Just talk with him. Whatever the problem is, ask him, talk with him, pray to him, and ask him, God, give me advice. Send someone my way that can give me information on what I would need. This sacred partnership also means commitment. God doesn't leave you when things look bleak. Others may walk away. God doesn't walk away. He's with you in the hole, in the pit. He's with you on, in the palace. He's with you on, at the pinnacle of your success. He's there. He's in, all in. And so when I think about sacred partnership, these are the attributes of that beautiful sacred partnership between you and God. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, the great English preacher. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. 
We don't serve a part-time God. We don't serve a part-time Savior. He saves all of who you are. Rub your hands together like this. Everything I've said before was the appetizer. Let's put on the bib. Let's eat. Let's chow down. Let's get into the Word. So I ask myself this question. How is this sacred partnership recognized? Answer, partnership in promises. I love when I'm reading the Bible. You can, it's, it has two testaments. Old Testament, 39 books. New Testament, 27 books. But this, this Bible, I can look at it in three sections. In the Old Testament, there was a season before the Mosaic Law. We call it Old Testament Law, the Law of Moses. Before the Law, then there is during the Law, and then in the New Testament, after the Law. What you'll see as we journey in the Bible in these next moments, that before the law, tithing existed. During the law, tithing existed. After the law, in New Testament grace, tithing existed. So it's as if God's saying, look, I want you to see how I operate in this sacred partnership. Let me take you now to 500 years before the Mosaic law was ever established. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai and God etched on two stone tablets the Ten Commandments. Then there was the Levitical law and the laws of cleansing and ceremonial laws. All that before any of that took place. Here's Jacob. Jacob was a very sketchy guy. And he was very deceptive. So much so that his twin brother Esau, which was minutes older than Jacob, he deceived Esau twice. He deceived Esau and got Esau's birthright. As the firstborn child, Esau would then receive the largest portion of the inheritance from their dad, very wealthy man, Isaac. Jacob deceived Esau and got that birthright. Second deception, he deceived Esau and got his blessing. In Jewish history, the blessing is when the father is on his deathbed. He calls his children by his bedside and pronounces a prophetic blessing over their life as to what he sees God going to do for them. And so Jacob deceived his father and his brother and went to the father's bedside who was blind and acted like he was Esau. And the father pronounced a blessing on Jacob thinking it was Esau. The only thing that satisfied Esau's anger, having been deceived by his brother, was that Esau said, I'm going to kill him. And instead of him then getting the chance to kill him, their mom told Jacob, Jacob, gather your stuff and go to another country, the country where I came from, and you'll see my brother Laban there, and go and, go and live there. And whenever it's safe for you to come back, I'll make sure you can come back. And so here's this young man. He leaves his family for the first time, the security and the safety of his family, and he's traveling to go and meet his uncle that he's never met before. He has no idea what's going to take place. And as he's en route to this distant land, in the evening time, he sleeps on the side of the road. While he's asleep, God visits him in a dream. In the dream, he sees a ladder extending from the earth all the way into the heavens. He sees the angels of God walking up and down the ladder. And then he sees someone at the top of the ladder in heaven. And I want to take you to right where Jacob saw 
And let's see who he sees. Genesis 28, verse 13, it reads, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Stop there. Let's unpack what we've just read. Jacob's hurting. God visits him. And this penniless young man, God promises him to give him valuable land on which he's lying. God promises to give this single guy, no kids, descendants as numerous as the dust on the earth. God promises to bless all people in the earth through the very man that stole his brother's blessings. Look at how incredible this God is to do something so generous and to prophesy or to speak prognosticatively or futuristically as what he promises to do for Jacob. My question is, how did Jacob respond to that? Verse 20 captures his response. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob, without any prompting from anyone, Jacob tells God, God, you're going to do that for me? You're going to enter into partnership with me that's sacred, that I'll never be hungry, I'll, I'll never be naked, and I, I could come back home to my father's house? God, everything that I'll ever get in the future... His pockets were empty. Here and now, I promise you, God, our sacred partnership is filled with this promise. I'll give you a tenth, a tithe of everything I ever get. You know what shocks me? There was no scripture written yet. There was no Old Testament. You know what shocks me? There was no priest guiding Jacob as to, Jacob, this is what you do if you want to be someone that is walking uprightly before God. No one was there. There was no family member prompting, you know, pushing him. Hey, Jacob, this is what you need to do. Give God a tithe. No one was there. No written law. No, no, can, you know, no canon of scripture. Nothing. What that tells me is, Tithing is something we instinctively do as an action of love for God. Tithing has never been about money. It's always about heart. Tithing doesn't start in the wallet. Tithing doesn't start in the pocketbook. Tithing starts in the heart. As if, don't let money block your view of God. Money can cause a solar eclipse and block your ability to see God. Too much money 
You block it. Too little money? Block it when money's your focus. But when God is your focus, all the money in the world he can give you will never, it will never reduce or remove who he is in your life, that sacred partnership. Any need you have, Paul says, I've been a base, I've been a bound, I've been a base, but nothing separates from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I want you to see, tithing is not about money, it's about heart. And when you say, God, I'm entering to a promise with you, sacred partnership built on promise, you promise to, to, you know, to be with me, I promise to honor you. God, that's how sacred our partnership is. And so God, call it done. Bob said to his pastor after a Sunday service, Pastor, could you pray with me? I'm having a tough time financially. All I have is this part-time job. I just make 40 bucks uh, a week. But I tithe. I give God my $4. Would you pray with me that God blesses me with a good job and financially? Pastor said, absolutely, Bob. And they prayed together. And over the next few years, God, uh, God caused Bob's career to just take on his new life. Bob got to a point where he was actually tithing $500 a week. That's a whole lot of shekels. Bob called up his pastor and said, Pastor, I need to be released from this promise. This is too much money. The pastor said, I, I don't know how that could be done. Bob said, you can need to find a way because I just, look, writing this $500 check every week, that's a lot of money. The pastor thought for a while and said, Bob, I have a way out. Bob said, cool. What is it? He said, let's pray that God brings your salary back down to $40 a week so you can give your four bucks. Bob says, I'm good. Let's keep it the way it is. I mean, it's amazing of how this whole promise thing goes. Sarah, she, this young businesswoman, she prayed, God, I, I want to just, I want to, I want to do anything for you to, to expand your kingdom. I yearn for your kingdom to thrive. God, I'll give you my nickels and my dimes. Dear Lord. But please don't ask me to tithe. Some of us have prayed that prayer. Tithing is not about money, it's about heart. God wants you to have partnership and promises, but He also wants you to have partnership and provision. So we looked at tithing occurred before the law. I want to take you now into the middle of the law. God's ancient people, they'd gotten tired. Now tithing was required giving 10% of what you earn. So they just said, forget that. I'm not doing that. And so they start neglecting this particular role and function of tithing. God got a little bit miffed because tithing was important to him. Let's find out why. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, Descendants of Jacob, I am the Lord all-powerful, and I never change. That's why you haven't been wiped out. Even though you have ignored and disobeyed my laws ever since the time of your ancestors. But if you return to me, I will return to you. And yet you ask, how can we return? You people are robbing me. You're God. And here you are asking, how are we robbing you? You're robbing me of the offerings and of the 10% that belongs to me. That's why your whole nation is under curse. I am the Lord all-powerful, and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. 
I will also stop locusts from destroying your crops and keeping your vineyards from producing. Stop there. It's amazing. God was so frank and so forthright. I love the candidness of God. He doesn't beat around the bush. Just, look, you guys are robbing me. Now, my question is, does, did God need their money? The answer is no. Follow-up question, did God, does God need your money? No. If the New Testament says that God can cause the very rocks to cry out and praise Him, God doesn't need money. He, can, he doesn't need money. He can make things happen. I mean, when you look at the Scriptures, the, the streets are paved with gold. One guy, he, he, when he died, he, he carried a couple of gold bullions with him up to heaven. Peter said, what, what are you doing? What well, you have in that bag? The guy said, I got some gold bullions. Peter said, you got asphalt? See, you know, the, you know, God doesn't need our money. And so I, what he says is that I want your heart. Return to me, and I'll return to you. And so tithing, it just reaffirms this sacred partnership with you and God. It says to God, God, I love you so much that I want you to be interwoven into the financial aspects of my life. Not only when I'm dealing with my budgets, not only when I'm dealing with my financial goals, not only when I'm dealing with my debt retirement plans, not only when I deal with those things, I want you to be so involved that when I get my money, I give you 10% of what I get, and I want you to help me save. Some people say, let's save 10%. Some people say, let's live on the 80%. And you do that, and you find a method to say, God, help me to do just that because I want to return to you. But God says, don't rob me. So robbing is, is not a good thing. I, I love Nigeria. And I love going there. A lot of reasons, the people, the food. But one of the reasons I also love Nigeria is that the stories, they got the craziest stories in Nigeria. And I'm a story guy. I mean, I just, I, I remember stories. I don't know why, I just remember all the details, all the nuances. You tell me a story when I was eight years old, I can remember it now. Tell me a song. I can't even tell what songs we sang earlier. But I can remember stories, and I can remember math, I can remember numbers. This story that I heard when I was in Nigeria about five years ago, what a doozy. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't even matter. It was so crazy. These two armed robbers pulled this bus over. Had 50 people on the bus, jam-packed, public bus. Got on the bus with their guns. Everybody off the bus. People are afraid. Driver came off. Passengers came off. He said, now, all the tithers stand over here on my right. Some people say, what's a tither? So if you have to ask, you're not that. Stay where you are. About five or six people went over to the right. He said, all of you non-tithers, empty out your pockets, your wallet, your purse, all your gold. Put it in these baskets. I'm robbing you. Don't you get angry because you and I are the same. You rob God, I rob you. We're both robbers. Put the money in the kitty. Those tithers stood over there smiling so happy. Because they had not been robbing God, so they're not being robbed. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it sounded good. <laughs> I may just go back to Nigeria to get some more stories. But the idea is that we, we have to understand God is concerned about that. And you know why He's concerned about that? Because the Scripture says, when you return to me by honoring me with your tithe, here's what you've done when you've robbed me. Not just withholding that gift. That goes to my house. You've robbed me of the joy of blessing you. That is something so sacred and valuable to God. God says it's been in my heart to open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing on you 
that you don't have room enough to contain, but you've denied me that privilege because you didn't establish that sacred partnership of giving me the 10%. God says, you know, it's been in my heart to make sure the locusts don't devour your crops or to do preventative things that is in our generation, to let your car drive longer and not die out at the certain time that you think it would, I want to save you the expense, so I let it go another 50,000 miles. It's in my heart to bless you. But when you don't honor me this way, you're robbing me. I remember when I first came to Christ, I was 20 years old. I'd never known about tithing. I grew up in a household of religious but not right with God. My parents would send us four Ireland kids to the church in the neighborhood of Methodist Church. They would go during the holidays, you know, like Easter, Christmas, and they'd say, you guys go. And then they'll give us like, here, there's $5, put in the offering plate. Here's a dollar, put in the offering plate. And so we go to the neighborhood Methodist Church, and they weren't really teaching the Bible. They were teaching about being nice, being good people. And so when the offering plate passed by, you know, some weeks I gave the five bucks, some weeks I took the five bucks. Hey, it's just, it was, it was, you know, and I thought this was a confession, a 12 step recovery. And so, you know, and so I pocketed it and smiled and, and I didn't think anything about it. So here I'm now, 20 years old. I'm a, I'm a graduate student. I just was awarded this full academic scholarship where they paid for my tuition, they paid for my room and board at Stevens Tech in Hoboken. And, so, and then they gave me on top of that $550 stipend once a month. That stipend took care of my books, it took care of my meal. And two months into my conversion when I first heard a message about tithing, giving God 10% of what you earn, your income, my $550. I remember the first time I wrote out a check for $55. My hands shook. <laughs> and that Sunday when I came to church, and that offering basket passed by my row, and I had written out my check beforehand, and when I went in my pocket and put that check into that basket, I felt like a billionaire. I never knew that I would have this joy of saying, God, I have honored you in your word in this area of my life. And I've been tithing ever since that for 38 years. And not just tithing. My wife and I, some years we give 30%, some years 40%, because we've learned to, 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 to not live so materialistically, you know, filled up with all this stuff. I don't need stuff. Because I, I know what the gospel message is like and the power of it. If you would have known David Ireland before July 6, 1984 at 10 p.m., this sarcastic, foul-mouthed sinner who's smart aleck, and you would have known what I was like and when Jesus saved me. I know what it's like to be walking so wayward and think that I, I was fine. And when he set me free that night, I know. I said, God, you have my heart. You got my heart. There's sometimes pastors come here and they look around, they come and they go to the East Campus and they said, does this, 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 this success of ministry ever get in the way? I said, what success? This just means nothing to me because he had my heart. Does he have your heart? I'm not going to let money get in the way. Not money. Tithing 
is when you give to God's house as an act of worship 10% of what you earn. So if your mom, grandma, Aunt Susie in California who's in need, if you help them out, that's not tithing. That's you providing them an assistance and alms, a nice gift. I commend you for your philanthropy, but that's not a tithe. They're not the storehouse. That's not an act of worship. That's an act of family commitment. If you take a portion of your earnings and give to cancer research, I commend you. Honorable. If you give to a, you know, some type of nonprofit, you give to whatever group, I commend you for your big heartedness, but that is not a tithe. A tithe is when you give 10%, according to scripture, through the local church for the work of ministry that, as an act of worship. That's a tithe. Anything else, it's robbery. The Italian would say it's ladro. Spanish, ladron. Greek, cleftus. German, deeb. English, thief. <laughs> so I want us to recognize we have this global responsibility to honor the Lord with 10%. And when we do that, wow, it's demonstrating God we are having this sacred partnership. So I bring you now as I come to a close that this partnership is not only one in promises and in provision, it's also one in priorities. I showed you in Scripture, tithing took place before the law, during the law, and I'm going to take you to the New Testament after the law, tithing still occurred. Because some people say, ah, tithing's in Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. You don't know the Bible. And I'm saying, you need to just wait a moment. Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus is teaching. Let's see what Jesus has to say. And whatever he has to say, hey, I want to say the same thing. In fact, I'm about to say it right now. How terrible for you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You give to God one-tenth of everything you earn. Even your mint, dill, and cumin, spices they were measuring out. But you don't obey the really important teachings of the law. Justice, mercy, and being loyal. These are the things you should do as well as those other things. So Jesus talking to these religious guys. said, look guys, I commend you for your tithing, but I condemn you for your teaching. They were measuring out the spices. Wait a second, I got, I need more mint. Put another mint. Put another mint on the scale. Put, Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, that's a tithe. That goes to God. I need you to practice justice. Justice, mercy, loyalty. I'm not being loyal to them. Jesus said, wait a second, wait a second. I want you to be, I want you to practice justice. I want you to demonstrate mercy. I want you to practice loyalty. Do that, but don't stop tithing. So here's the New Testament. You say, oh, that really doesn't count. That's not the New Testament. Jesus was just really trying to help these Pharisees, Old Testament people understand. Come on. Okay, I'll give that to you. Let's hold on to that thought. But look at Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, don't suppose I came to do away with the law and the prophets. I did not come to do away with them, 
but to give them their full meaning. Jesus is saying to us, wait a second, we're in New Testament time. But that does not mean that the law, all aspects of the law is eradicated. Jesus says, I came to bring aspects of the law into light so they can have full meaning. So Jesus is letting us know tithing still is there. Now you may say, well, that's the law. Now let me, let's talk for a moment. Under the law, Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not murder. So based on the thinking that the law is gone, okay, we're in New Testament time now. Murder whoever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. You're under grace. Under the law, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, preacher, we're under grace. Okay, fool around with, have affairs with whoever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, because we're under grace. Free love. Under the law, thou shalt not steal. Oh, we're not under the law. Okay, we're under grace. Steal from whomever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, because we're under grace. Do you see how ridiculous that is? And so we recognize it. So I'm saying to you, before the law, they tithe. It was in their hearts. During the law, they tithe because it was told to them. After the law, we tithe because it's in our hearts. Partnership is there. See, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with heart. In 2017, the world was shocked at the salary that Derek Carr got as an NFL quarterback with the Oakland Raiders, $25 million for a five-year contract. It's a lot of shekels. It's a lot of money to throw a pigskin. And that doesn't even include you know, bonuses, you know, any other in terms of certain platform of wins, thresholds, companies that may say, I want you to sponsor and endorse us. It doesn't include that. Derek Carr was a devout Christian. Is, I should say, not was, is a devout Christian. When asked the question, what's the first thing you're going to do? Here's what he said. The first thing I'll do is pay my tithe like I have since I was in college. That's what he told CBS Sports. Giving $700 on a scholarship check, that won't change. I'll do that. So Derek Carr saying, look, when I was making 700 bucks, I'd give my $70 to the local church as an act of worship. I tithe back then. Now I'm making $25 million. I'm going to give my... What's 10%? All the math people. Come on, I know, you know, some people can't even count, but they can count money. What's that? That's 2.5 million. They're going to just, he just write the check. He didn't struggle. You know why? Because it was never about money. It was about the heart. Tithing starts where? In the heart. Right here. Right here. Right here. When God has your heart, he has everything. When he doesn't have your heart, he has nothing. You can't serve two masters at the same time. You can't serve money and can't serve God. What God wants, forget about your money. Put your money to the side. Give me your heart. He's not after your money. He just wants to trust you so he can give you more and more and more and more. Why? Tithing starts where? In the heart. Thanks for joining us this week on Impact with Dr. David Island. Take a moment and visit davidisland.org where you can get an in-depth look at the world of Dr. Island through his messages, media interviews, information about the books he has authored, and so much more. Tune in next week for another edition of Impact with Dr. David Island. Please subscribe to this podcast and follow at Dr. David Island on social media 
so you'll never miss a moment. See you next time.